and it's not it's not the man in the white van. Yes, that does happen probably one time out of a hundred that um, and that gets on the news or the you know publicity. There's been a child taken from the street and sexually abused, but that's a tiny percent. It's you know something like ninety percent of child sexual abusers are family or very close family members or friends. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello my beautiful friends, it's Dawn and welcome back to the podcast. We heard part one of Diane's story last week. Diane came from a seemingly idyllic childhood on the farm with the ponies and the piano lessons. But at the age of 12, her much older brother-in-law began sexually abusing her. We heard last week how Diane packed those secrets away and spent a lifetime trying to keep them contained along with the shame and the heartbreak of what had happened to her all those years ago. But Diane's life started to unravel as her mental health began to deteriorate and she found herself unable to continue to function under the weight of the past. Diane is still working through her own healing, but she has decided that now is the time to share her story in the hopes that it will help others who find themselves in a similar situation to see that there is a way forward. Please join me for part two of Diane's story. And it's not it's not the man in the white van. Yes, that does happen probably one time out of a hundred that and that gets on the news or the you know publicity. There's been a child taken from the street and sexually abused, but that's a tiny percent. It's you know something like ninety percent of child sexual abusers are family or very close family members or friends. Yeah, and that's, it's such a horrible statistic, isn't it? Mm. And I think that's why every parent needs to be in a position, in a relationship with their kids where their kids can come and talk to them about anything. If you can't do anything else for your kids, you know, allow them to be in a a relationship with you where they feel safe 
to come and talk because if you feel that your parents, and when you're at the age of 12, it's either it's really only your parents or possibly a teacher, but, I mean, not many of us feel comfortable enough to go and talk to most teachers. Yeah, It is going to be our parents. And so it's really about making sure that your kids will come and tell you because it's the best chance you've got of protecting them, isn't it? Yeah, and that's sort of what I say to people. Like, And I know it's a fine line because you can't, go around telling small children, oh, my God, watch out for every uncle or brother or stepfather or any man because they might try to sexually abuse you because then you're, again, going to take away that child's, you know, childhood and and ability to feel safe. But like you say, there's got to be some way. And as you said, I, I actually also really believe that, yeah, that's the answer is having open honest like very caring relationship with your parents where you can go to them with no blame it doesn't matter how bad something is if we had done something bad it was like hide it as much as you can from your parents if you even broke a good plate or something like that it would be like hide it hide it it wouldn't be like go to your parents and say oh my god I'm so sorry I was being silly I knocked the plate off and it's broken you know, it would have been you were in so much trouble. So I think to have that relationship where the children can openly feel like they can go to their parents about anything is really important, except I suppose, yeah, there is also a large percentage of people where a parent may be the abuser as well, which, but hopefully the other parent isn't and you could go to them. Mm. And I think a lot of kids these days are getting taught about body autonomy as well and understanding that no one's allowed to, I think even as a little kid, you know, you're forced to kiss everybody, you're forced to do all these things. And I think now we're understanding that if a child doesn't want to do that, they need to understand that that's their right and they don't Mm. have to have anybody touching them. And I think as those messages get, wider and wider and more kids understand that then hopefully that will help a lot in this area as well um and so you held your secret like you said earlier for 27 years and then you told your husband and it's an incredibly brave step isn't it to do that because we don't know like you said what the reaction will be and and how important was it to you that he was the person who stood by you through all of this? Yeah, well, obviously, yes, just about more important than words can explain. And it's very much, you know, sort of a country born and bred New Zealand male who doesn't show emotion either <laughs> much. And, yeah, I quite often and particularly more in the last couple of years, say to him, um, you know, you literally saved me in so many ways. You saved me from myself. You possibly saved my life because that's sort of another topic of the spiral of where I was heading if I hadn't met him. And then, yeah, again, just been there, you know, since I told him years ago and then also now been there very much over the last couple of years when 
he's witnessed you know me hitting rock bottom mentally and and yeah he's just been amazing people that know him and are listening to this know that he yeah he's not the sort of person we don't really discuss the ins and outs of anything to do with the abuse or that sort of thing but like I said to him a while ago I said I just need a hug I just need yeah just knowing he's there knowing he's he's a hundred percent on my team he's like you need to do you know you know I said oh do you think I should tell this person or do you think I should speak out or he's like you know you've got to do what you've got to do only you can decide that and I'll be behind you no matter what you decide you want to do and yeah actually my psychologist quite often says to me she goes he really really loves you and I'm like we've been married for 30 years and I know we love each other but again I haven't yeah really thought that he literally loves me unconditionally and yeah so yeah it's and obviously again like I mean that probably hearing my voice it's a little bit upsetting but it's probably because in the background there's still this thought process that you know I'm not worthy of probably someone loving me fully and all that sort of thing yeah 100 percent. what a beautiful man and and it's just so wonderful that you have him in your life he obviously loves you so much and and it is that feeling of being unworthy I mean it it is taken away from us, isn't it? And it's, it is difficult to get that back. You've talked mm-hmm. about going through different psychologists and then finding a trauma-informed psychologist. How important was it that you spoke to a trauma-informed psychologist? Yes, very, very important. And I suppose like a prime example that just sticks in my mind so clearly was when I seen the psychiatrist and I was obviously you know telling her about the sexual abuse and so on and I was saying you know I don't know whether I should ever tell my family or not because if I do it'll just like you know blow the family apart like it's never going to be the same it'll destroy the relationships with my family and and she would be like oh that's a bit dramatic really and so I'd be like oh 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 oh, maybe it is a bit dramatic okay and that is just such a non-trauma informed response and and looking back now I laugh because I'm like she just had no idea of how you feel the effect it's had on you personally all those sort of feelings that you experience and the fears and so on and she was yeah just sort of dismissing it like won't be that bad sort of thing so having someone trauma informed and just I mean the main therapy I'm doing and I've done is like just talk therapy and and I am sort of looking and thinking about I mean I'm still continuing that and it's great but also, I know, and I've literally experienced it, that, like, your body holds so much trauma. So it's like, even though, you know, your mind 
your intellect no it was not your fault but your body is still responding differently to that so yeah going forward I'm like maybe I need to add in some other sort of more like somatic body therapy but I'm just not sure exactly what yet mm, somatic healing I've I've heard is amazing so yeah that that's definitely something because like you say we do hold it all in our bodies and oh it's just so important to release that so at what point did you actually decide you need to speak out about what happened well I suppose going back one step because of my mental health in 2021 and trying to deal with all of this and trying to work I was having a lot of days off work and again, that was just an additional separate thing that was bringing me so much distress and shame and guilt that I was letting down my workplace, my colleagues, my patients. And to the point where at the end of yeah, 2021, I actually resigned from work and, and haven't been working for the last six months because, yeah, I just couldn't safely function at work which I never, ever imagined that would be me in a, in a million years. So, and yeah, so that's just, you know, another little sidearm of the effect of all of this that now I can't even do my job that I've, you know, I've worked for 35 more years, you know, every day, every week, basically of the year and, and been, you know, average to you know above successful in a couple of different careers and now I can't even go to work like but going back to your question which was how did it all sort of come about so it, earlier on in 2021 a few people close to me realized I wasn't quite right for the want of a better word and so I was like I really feel like I need to you know tell my sister next to me Judith and again she is probably the second person on the list who has been amazing beyond words who has got me through some very dark times we have facetimed each other so much quite often talk for four or five hours at a time but it didn't feel like it but you'd hang up and you go like oh my god I've been on the phone for five hours so I told her and yeah, she was in shock. She had no idea. No one has any idea. No one I've told has any idea. And so, yeah, she's been amazing. Told her. And then a few months later, I thought I'll tell my brother. And we used to be quite close when we were younger. And I've helped him through some difficult times in his life as well. But for whatever reason, and for his obviously own personal reasons that we're not aware of, he basically perceives that it was somehow my fault and that I should just keep quiet. And why why, why do you need to bring it up? It happened 40 years ago, like seriously. And so I had, the last time I spoke to him, so he hasn't been in contact for a few months now, but the last time I spoke to him, I said I answered all those points he had. Like, oh, well, why bother? It's 40 years ago. I said, yeah, the trauma happened 40 years ago, but I've been living with it every day of my life since. And so for me, it didn't happen 40 years ago. It happened yesterday and the day before. And he obviously just can't, for whatever reason, 
and or doesn't want to understand that side of things. So, yeah, he was basically like, you just need to indirectly, he basically said, just keep quiet. And he did actually literally say to me, you might find if you go telling everybody, you might not be welcome when you come back here. So I was like, okay. So then it got to a point where I was like, I really, yeah, during that time, I was like, I really need to speak up more about this. Like, it's something I feel like I really need to do. And as Judith, my sister next to me said, the only trouble is you can't really speak about it without naming the person, because otherwise it puts everyone under suspicion that was in my life at that time, including, you know, like my dad, my brother, my, you know, everybody. So I was like, well, thought about that for quite some time. And I was like, well, I'm really going to have to tell my oldest sister whose husband it was. So FaceTimed her in about October last year. And she appeared to have absolutely no idea. And the telling, telling her at the time actually went incredibly well compared to what I thought it would. She actually confronted him that night when he came back from where he'd been out that day with one of her, at least one of her adult children were there and he admitted to it. Wow. And yeah, but yet my brother still thinks it's my fault somehow, even though it's true and he admitted to it. But anyway, so, so initially my relationship with my oldest sister was not, too bad and we were sort of trying to support each other but unfortunately she's chose to continue to live with him and put on again a front that everything is fine in their world which obviously is far from it but and I was just like I need to speak out about this because yeah I mean from the outside our family we lived in a small country town we were definitely not rich. We weren't really poor. We had enough money, obviously, for ponies and stuff, but no extra, you know, no lavish holidays or anything. And like Judith said to me, she goes, you would never, ever think that something like that would happen in our family. And I'm like, exactly. And that's why I need to speak out because people go, oh, well, it wouldn't happen in that community or it wouldn't happen in that family. I'm like, it happens everywhere and every not every family but unfortunately it's like every third or fourth family it is happening because the statistics are like one in four females will have been sexually abused or assaulted by the time they're 16 so it is happening and and like we mentioned earlier I, I feel the only way to try and help improve this terrible epidemic is to speak up and so I've just recently started telling good friends in Australia as well as good friends in New Zealand. And I'm yet to find or have a reaction of someone going, oh, oh okay, well, that's, that, you know, that wasn't good. Oh, well, never mind. Everyone has just been so supportive, so loving telling me saying like compliments to me that have actually made me cry because again I don't obviously believe or see that of myself but you know they'll say oh you're such a good person and people look up to you and I'm just like it's not obviously how I view myself even though 
I don't consciously think that. Mm. Yeah. So yes, speaking up is the way forward and hence why I'm doing my first podcast with you and I'll probably do a few more down the track. Yes, and what is it like to have let people know this is it just a massive weight off of your shoulders can you feel your almost your healing journey kind of getting this this boost just people understanding and being on your side it must be such a relief yeah it's like particularly when I in the initial stages told like Judith and then told my other sister it actually felt physically like this massive weight had been lifted off my whole body then at the same time because of the build-up to it 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 also you feel emotionally exhausted and for a few days afterwards but yeah I feel like by speaking out yes it's lifted a great weight off me and I think it's definitely helping my mental health just by sharing my story and trying to make a difference and all of those things combined for me. And like I say, you know, speaking out is not for everyone. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that can never speak out for various reasons. But yeah, I think for me, it is a very going to be a big part of continuing my healing and trying to make a difference. Yeah, and making a difference and having that purpose. It is helping all the people that can't speak out. Like you say, not everybody can do that for whatever reason. So somebody has to do it. So the fact that you're doing it. But I just want to acknowledge how freaking disappointing it must be to have people in your life. You've talked about all the people that are, are supporting you, to have those people who are very close to you who are not supportive of you you have to look into who they are and and why they think the way they do and I think a lot of people just have no understanding of the impacts of these things like oh it happened 40 years ago or whatever and you just Mm. need to get over it it's it's so disappointing isn't it it's so deeply hurtful and yet you just have to understand that that's their level of understanding Mm. Mm. Yes, exactly. And and I think that's the difference between going back to complex PTSD and, and even regular PTSD or, or whatever. Like, yes, everyone has traumas and has bad things happen in their life. You know, no one's going to get through life without some sort of type of trauma. But I think with sexual abuse, because it happens in childhood when you're still developing mentally and and in every way then and the impact yeah the impacts literally affect every aspect of your life you know to the point of some massive impacts like another example is I can clearly remember when I was 18 I clearly said was saying to people and and including my husband when I met him, I said, I'm never, I'm never ever going to have children. Like I'd made that very certain decision when I was about 18 years and I met my husband when I was about 22. But I said, so when I met him, I said, oh, if you just want me to be one of those women that are going to churn out, you know, mini me's for you, 
then I'd want to tell you now because don't waste your time with me. I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to have children. And again, told him like when we were getting more serious and before we got engaged and so on, he was like, no, no, you know, whatever, because it's what he's like, whatever, go with the flow. So yeah, and again, it's only the last couple of years, which actually was a very painful sort of thing to learn that yeah the the real reason I didn't I chose not to have children was yeah because again subconsciously I know I would have gone crazy trying to protect a child 24 hours a day from sexual predators to avoid happening to them what happened to me and I would have ended up totally insane literally like I would have been up 24 hours a day watching them and so yeah to even have something like that now you know realize that that was choice was taken away from me as part of the abuse I mean I may not have had wanted to have children anyway but that's the other trouble you'd never know what could have been or yeah what was taken from you so yeah, things like that. So, yeah, people, like you say, saying, oh, it happened 40 years ago. It's like it just has so many impacts on every part of your life. And, yes, like you say, those closest to me, like particularly my brother and, and well, my oldest sister hasn't been in contact for months. So she's, yeah, I, I can't say, but I imagine she probably wants to me to keep quiet as well. And that's really, like you say, I've, I've got to look at that as that comes back to their issues and things they haven't dealt with themselves, not a reflection on me. But like you say, it is a bit painful to have to come to that realisation. They're not going to support you. Yeah, 100%. People just sometimes they're just unable to be the person that we need them to be and that's really just not about us and, yeah, it's heartbreaking. But what advice would you have for others who are in a similar situation now to where you found yourself at that age? What advice would you have for anybody I suppose if it's for a younger person, you know, it's like just speak up as soon as you can. For people that are caregivers of and parents of, you know, younger children, yeah, please just try and have that relationship so that your child can tell anything and, yeah, and teach them about body awareness and how to, you know, what what is appropriate and not appropriate without obviously traumatising them about, you know, sexual predators as such. And then I suppose, yeah, more generally, the other thing is probably that you just need to start your healing journey when the time is right for you. I do sort of look back and think I wish I could have done this years ago, but it just wasn't the time and I obviously wasn't in a place to be able to do it. Another thing which is very cliche, but again, I've learned it's so very true, that be aware that healing is a journey, not a destination. Like I said earlier, I was like, yep, bang, 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 I'll be sorted in six months and I'll be all done and I'll be good. And yeah, I've learned that unfortunately isn't how it works. And I suppose another thing is to be aware when you do 
you know, decide to perhaps see a therapist or get some help in some form, that your mood and, and mental health will quite likely get worse before it gets better. So, yeah, at the bad times, I was like, I'm paying all this money, I'm putting in all this work, and I'm feeling worse than I've ever felt in my life. It's like, this isn't such a good idea. But, yeah, obviously have to go there to start to be able to come out the other side. And like we've already said, get a trauma-informed therapist. Try and have a good group of people around you, supportive people. And, yes, if you don't succeed with your first therapist, try again, which is hard. But, you know, I really encourage people to do that. And then the other thing is, well, fortunately... And unfortunately, there is a very large community of survivors out there that can help and support you on your journey, which I have really found like initially with you, Dawn, where you were the beginning and then, yeah, like getting into Instagram groups, listening to podcasts, all those sorts of things have really helped and, and really helped me definitely in my healing. And also, I suppose, yeah, it would be really good even more so, you know, if you feel you don't have a lot of people close to you that are supporting you, these different supportive sort of child abuse groups and stuff are just so supportive and no judgment. And you hear other people's stories and think, oh, my God, everyone's story, like the actual story of abuse or whatever, is never, ever going to be identical. But the result and the feelings and the trauma that comes from that and is all very similar yeah of the you know the shame the guilt the pain the feeling dirty like all those things are just all so common no matter what the actual events were of the sexual abuse yeah 100% and where do you see your journey going from here how optimistic are you about the future or where do you feel you're at right now Yes, I am feeling optimistic. Like I said, after having to take six months off work, which, yeah, was the first time in my life of not working and not having an income, like just, all again, those basic things that are difficult. I've just started doing some casual work, which is really good, and just going to build that up and sort of be a little bit more in control of my working hours and so on. And also, obviously, continue with therapy, like I mentioned, perhaps look at, you know, some alternatives to add to it as well. And work-wise, like, I sort of have this feeling that maybe in the future I may end up working in some capacity with like sexual abuse survivors or something like that and so just to be open to you know any opportunities that arise and and continue raising awareness basically of child sexual abuse and the major you know adverse effects it has on people and just get back to being that happy smiley successful person but this time actually I suppose really feeling it from my heart and body and mind and soul, not not just being a front or a face that I'm putting on. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, Diane. Your story is incredibly hard and the impacts, they're catastrophic for, for 
people that have been through this situation, it's an incredibly brave decision to share your story and there are going to be people out there who will understand so much more about their own lives because you weren't afraid to speak out and that's what being a change maker in the world is all about. We we need to speak and share our truth. I want to thank you so much for doing that today and I wish you all the best with this mission of sharing truth in the world because it is so important. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you for having me on your podcast and having this platform to be able to share my story because, like I said, listening to other people's stories has really helped and I really hope that mine will do the same. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.